Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This is today's Bible class, a short Bible study every single day of the week, seven days a week, only about 13 or 14 minutes, but it keeps us in God's Word. And that's crucial for the development and the strengthening of our faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You may help somebody grow in their faith by getting them into God's Word by sharing these studies with them. You may even help somebody grow in their faith and get to heaven. What a great blessing for them and for you. So make that commitment and start sharing with everybody today. We're going to begin a new line of thought and study. And I want to... uh, I want to share this with you in the first person. It is not my story, but it certainly relates to what I have believed for a great many years and what I have taught over and over again for a great many years about the existence of God. Now, again, I'll read this in the first person as though I were the preacher who is telling this story. And he's telling this story that he experienced himself. Now you say, okay, what is it? What is it? What's it about? It's the day the atheist sat next to the preacher. (laughs) You know, before I get into the story, let me tell you, I have studied with a number of atheists over my, throughout my life as a gospel preacher, a number of them, several. I believe all except one became Christians. Now, that's not through my prowess as a gospel preacher, as a, as a person, you know, being able to spout off scriptures or have this tremendous ability of, of, of communication to the point that I can convince people that they're wrong about whatever it is that they believe. I rely upon God's word. The power is in God's word. Remember what the apostle Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And that was referring to everybody. God's word has the power to change lives, to change hearts. So the day the atheist sat next to the preacher, Again, I'm not the preacher in this case, but it's written in the first person, and I'll share it with you in that way, and I'll make comments along the way. On a British Airways flight from London to Tanzania for Africa, by way of Nairobi, chance, or providence, had it that I sat next to a professor from the University of Kentucky. Now, let me tell you, this professor, or one like him, could, been, could have been from virtually any major university in our country today because they are steeped in atheism or skepticism or agnosticism by a great percentage of their professorships. And that's sad because they teach their disbelief in God, their skepticism about God and about creation and so on, to the students who come their way. Yeah, and that's sad, but that's the devil's work. 
The preacher goes on and says, we soon struck up a friendly conversation over our airline peanuts and soft drinks. (laughs) It turned out that he taught anthropology, the study of man. He indicated that he often made trips to Kenya and other parts of Africa where his purposes included looking for evidence of early man. He asked where I was going and why and learned about the mission effort we were making to take the gospel to the lost people of Tanzania. Our conversation soon dwindled as we became absorbed in other matters, but my thoughts lingered on the differences in our world views. He, his, tone and his tone had suggested that he thought that evangelizing among the Africans was a waste of time. Perhaps mine had indicated what my thoughts were about looking for missing links. In other words, each of these, the preacher and the atheist, were skeptical about what the other believed and maybe communicated that through a tone of voice or body language or maybe some choice of words in communicating with each other. In the years since that encounter, my thoughts have often gone back to the contrast between the two passengers on a plane. He thought the world began with a big bang. By contrast, I was confident that it would end with one. Popular cosmology has moved some from its big bang moorings But the majority of evolutionists still believe that the eternal matter somehow exploded in the distant past and set the universe in motion. The eyewitness testimony of the only one who is there is found in an ancient book. It reads, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 16. And that's something of a, of a uh, you know, brief excerpt from those, 16, those uh, 16 verses or 15 verses. Now, again, where are those who disbelieve in the creation account in Genesis? What do they believe about the beginning of the earth? They believe that somehow it just came into existence. You might say, no, no, no. What they believe is there was this little tiny ball of matter. I mean, just tiny, so tiny, probably microscopic, but it was so dense that it exploded somehow. And it exploded into all of the stars, all of the planets, all of the moons, and the earth being among them that we see in our universe today. Now, where did that tiny ball of matter, that tiny microscopic lump of dense matter that we've never been able to find ourselves or examine, where did it come from? Uh, Silence? You see, nothing comes from nothing. There always has to be There always has to be a power that begins things. Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, identifies the power behind the existence of the earth and the stars and the moons 
and the planets and everything in the universe. And that power is God. The preacher goes on. After careful examination of the whole document, no mention was found of any loud noises. You see, Big Bang in Genesis chapter 1, the creation account? No, doesn't say anything about any big bang or explosion. Still, it is inaccurate to say that Christians do not believe in a big bang. We do, but in the future, not the past. Peter wrote, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. Yeah, going to be a big bang on the final day of judgment when God sends his son back to call all mankind to account for the way we have lived our lives upon this earth. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. What does it say again? The heavens shall pass away with a great noise when our Lord comes again. But now that's in the future, not in the past. That will be at the end of this world as we know it, not how it came into existence to begin with. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. That fact was the motivation behind our mission trip, the preacher says, to help people prepare for the true Big Bang to come when the Lord comes again in the final day of judgment. Peter continued, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Again, 2 Peter 3 and verse 11. Interesting account, isn't it? Interesting comparison about the difference between what was believed by the atheist and the preacher next to whom he sat on that flight some years back. Well, the next observation of the preacher, speaking of, thinking of that atheist, he was interested in the ages of rocks. I was interested in the rock of ages. <laughs> Again, interesting comparison, interesting way of putting it verbally, isn't it? One of the pillars of the evolutionary theory is the radiometric dating of rocks and the corresponding fossil classification. Without this puzzle piece, the whole house of cards falls. The whole dating process is based upon the assumption of constant uniformity or uniformitarianism, as it's also referred. If, for instance, a rock had been reheated or contaminated in some other way, it would throw off, a, it would throw off the dating. In other words, if something happened to that rock that is against the uniform nature of nature, then the dating of that rock would be out of conformity 
with the dating process of rocks in general that did not have something unusual happen to them. Some in Peter's day also assumed uniformity uh, uniformity, and had to be corrected. They reasoned that, that since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 6. Scientists and the rest of us should be more concerned with the rock of ages than the ages of rocks. Moses wrote, He forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. With abominations provoked they him to anger. Of the rock that began thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Deuteronomy 32, verses 15 through 18. Focusing on the rock of ages will cause man to lift his head and see God's glory in the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day it utters speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3. We're going to stop here. It's already thought-provoking, isn't it? Imagine the discomfort on the part of that atheist who on that day sat next to the preacher and they shared their beliefs with one another. We'll look a little bit further next time. Let's pray. Father, you are God. You are the creator. You are the power behind all that we see behind us in existence. We praise you and give you the glory. Help people everywhere see your glory through the creation. And help us to help people see that you are the creator. And there is no other force that has brought everything into being. Please forgive us, gracious Father. And hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.